This is the Organizational Health Advantage Podcast with Keith Hadley and James Felton, Principal Consultants at Table Group. They're in the business of coaching leaders to build strategic focus and cultural alignment that leads to amazing results. This podcast is for leaders who are looking to increase productivity and morale while decreasing politics, confusion, and unwanted turnover. Welcome to the Org Health Advantage. Hello, and welcome back to the Org Health Advantage podcast. I'm your host, James Felton, and as always, I'm pleased to be joined by my good friend and colleague, Keith Hadley. Keith, how's it going? James, it's going great. Happy New Year, by the way. It's just after 2024. It's our first time recording for the year, and I'm excited about today's topic. Yeah, I am too. So today, we're going to talk about what are those top 10 behaviors that you and I see that really make meetings unproductive. And Keith, yeah, I want to share with you that this came up recently when I was with a team and sat in on one of their weekly meetings. And it was ironic because I had just watched a video of, you know, another consultant out there preaching that people should cancel their regularly scheduled meetings, just stop having them because they're so unproductive and people don't get much out of them and they're a waste of time and they're expensive. And I thought like, huh, that's weird. Like, so if we're not like actually working to make those meetings better, we should just cancel them. And I thought that what, you know, like that's great leadership. Let's not work to make things better. Let's just cancel things. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to imagine what other parts of life that would work. Like, you know, you're eating really (laughs) unhealthy. So our recommendation is just stop Stop eating. eating. Exactly. (laughs) Well, you guys are playing terrible. Let's just have everybody sit on the bench. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no. So no, you're right. So let let's make meetings better, not just yes. not have them. Let's have yes. good meetings. Totally. And by the way, let's acknowledge it is way harder to coach and hold people accountable to behavior changes than yeah. it is to yeah. just cancel the meeting. Yeah, that's you know? true. That would be an easy way out. Yeah, that's an easy way out, yeah. but that's not great leadership. And it's probably yeah. not what the people below you are, are hoping you do is just cancel meetings and, you know, make it harder to make decisions and be aligned as a leadership team. Yeah. And it's probably not what the business needs either. I, I know we're going to jump into this top 10 list, but it's funny as you're saying this, James, it occurs to me that how often on teams people, when we bring up meetings, they roll their eyes and how quickly they would advocate for canceling a meeting because it's like, oh, great, I get some time back. And what they're communicating to us when they say that is like, this this is really a poor use of my time, which just begs the question, like, what in the heck are we doing tolerating such unproductive, poor use of time? And like 100% that is related to behavior. This is a behavior change. Like behavior change is free of charge. You just have to make a commitment and a pinky promise with each other to like, let's just not behave that way. And there's no barrier to entry. So yes. Yeah. But easier said than done, which is why we're going to talk about this topic. Well, and the one thing I would add there, Keith, is I would say that most people, when they roll their eyes and they wish they could reschedule, they're probably thinking it's an unproductive meeting and they're probably pointing the finger at certain people or certain dynamics. Yep. And rarely are they looking at themselves and how they could be better in the meeting. But, you know, if, if it's a team setting, everybody's probably got some things that they can do to improve the meeting. 
Yeah. So let's dive into those. So we came up with 10. We identified 10. And so let's start, you know, like David Letterman, let's start it at the bottom of the list with number 10. Yeah. And we would say that that is where you're like more focused on reporting out than on making decisions. Right. Right. Give me the color commentary on that. <laughs> that is something we talk about so often. Like, what is the point of this meeting? And one of our colleagues, Gordon Blocker, wrote an article about, I went to a meeting and a hockey game broke out. But he makes this analogy in the article about like making a decision in a meeting is like scoring a goal in a hockey game. It's a big deal. And like, if we're not scoring goals, making decisions, all we're doing is like passing the puck back and forth between people. But it's like, well, what's the point? And I've, I've been to those yeah. meetings where we're going around and around, skating around and around, and we're just passing the puck, but we're not actually making anything happen as a result. And that that's often what we see as report out meetings. It's just not a great use of time. There's so many better ways to report out, not in the meeting. Yeah. Via email, via Slack, you know. Via a dashboard. Via dashboard. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Oh, wait, before we leave that one, before we leave the report out, here's what happens in report out meetings is often, let's say there's a, a, a team of eight people. When you gather the team of eight people to have a report out meeting, it's often, it turns into a one-on-one conversation between the team leader and yes. the team member. And you end up yes. with eight mini one-on-ones Yes, seven people observing usually checking email, usually thinking about what they're going to say when it's their turn to report out. And so we would say, may, you know, may, of course, there is a place for report outs, but that's not the kind of thing we're talking about when we talk about meetings. So behavior number 10, don't use your meeting time as report outs. Use it to actually advance the team to a decision. So now, James, number nine. All right. Number nine is being long-winded. And ironic. I know. <laughs> you know. I feel like I went a little bit long on that last one. <laughs> No, it was a great ad, but you and I both probably suffer from this from time to time. But I think being long-winded comes from a few things. One, it could be you're not prepared, and so you're talking your way through something. Two, you could be an extrovert and just like, you know, didn't have a plan of where you were going to finish, but you started saying something anyway. You could be overly advocating for something you want. You could also be advocating or defending the people that report to you. Yep. Something we do to overcome this in our offsites, Keith, is we give people like, all right, take 30 seconds, write down your thoughts. What are your bullet points for this? You know, and so that prep time for everybody then allows everybody to be more succinct. And we're, we're you yeah. know, it might only take 30 seconds or a minute to give everybody a chance to bullet point their thoughts and then they could be more succinct when they respond. Yeah, I, I think that's such a great technique, right? Write down your thoughts and then read out what you wrote. And it often, it ends up with a little bit more of like a, a an equal lightning round around the table or people will just very quickly chime in with, a, oh yeah, me too, which is so helpful. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a technique in Second City Improv Theater where you finish what you're going to say with just the word and that's all. And just if you're a long-winded talker like me, I had my boss in my second job and my, I should have learned it my first job, but my second job, my <laughs> boss gave me that feedback. He's like, just stop talking. Just say, and that's all. So, and that's all. Awesome. Number eight. Are we going to alternate? Should we alternate? We can. Okay. Let's, then it's my job. So number eight is getting loud to make your point. 
we see this happen so often. Like, like, how do I signal how much I believe in my idea or how do I signal how much I care about it or my passion for it? And often we see it as, as volume. And by getting yes. louder, that's not actually a behavior that's making uh, the meeting more productive. Yes, it is signaling what you think about this topic or what you think about this issue. But often as the volume increases, you see other people in the meeting start to shut down. And so I don't know if it's because somebody is angry or they're passionate and we think it is okay to get passionate. In fact, we, we want people to get passionate, but that getting loud can just become a distraction that takes the team away from its focus. Right. And it could turn people off and cause them to disengage. Yep. And, and getting loud to make your point or to try to get what you want doesn't, Obviously, it doesn't mean you're right or your point was (laughs) the most valuable one. Right. Yeah. And the podcast At the Table, Patrick Lencioni's uh, podcast, he did one episode on when nice leaders get angry. And he makes this really insightful point that sometimes you get angry as the leader and that shows up in volume because nobody else seems to care about the topic. And so like if if everybody could just show that they're equally passionate and interested in this topic, then that then the leader doesn't have to like amp up his or her passion to a, you know, a, a 10 out of 10 level. Like hey, other people can show their enthusiasm and passion. So, yeah. So getting loud, watch out for that. Yeah. All right. Number 7 is answering a question quickly but pivoting to a different topic. And so oh, uh, I see that <laughs> we see this a lot where the leader or somebody else might say like, all right, are you concerned about this? Who's concerned about this? And then they'll go, hey, Keith, are you concerned? And then you might say, no, I'm not concerned about this, but I'm concerned about this other thing. And I think it's really important. And we haven't talked about it because of this, this, this. And all of a sudden, we're now dealing with a different topic. Totally. We, we call that, it's like, it's like watching Little League soccer. I coached my daughter's soccer team because <laughs> nobody else signed up. And they were like five years old. And it's like the ball goes out and you see the chase at all. It's like a herd of kids chasing a ball. Somebody kicks the yeah. ball to the other side and the herd of kids goes to the other side. That's what it feels like. We've, James, you and I both have done this where we've, we've started to write down the questions. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's like in it's like putting down the breadcrumbs and then we'll raise our hands and say like, "Hey guys, what what question are we on? Where did we start? Yeah. Where did we go?" And and, and it, it creates some awareness for the team to like, "Let's go back to the original question. Are you concerned about this?" "No, I think we should do this. Does anybody else think we should do this? Let's talk about the merits of doing this and let's stay on this until we answer it." Right. And the challenge is that maybe even for whoever posed the initial question, we then get so wrapped up in that discussion that we f- we might even forget that we a- asked that original question. And, and it's like, wait, somebody's got to keep a higher level view of what is the topic at hand and how did we get that? Yeah. Like, how did we get so far off track? Yeah. That's coming up as behavior number five. It's like, it's almost a standalone thing. We'll get there in a second, that idea of the topic. But in the meantime, number six, fear of making a decision, or maybe it's not, well, it is a fear, 
but maybe it's just not being clear about the decision, not bringing a topic to clarity with closure. And there's a couple different versions we see of this. And one of them is, I think, rooted in fear, is that a leader is listening to a debate and realizes, wow, there's a lot of views on this. Not everybody agrees. I don't want to make a decision that some people will be mad at me for, or I don't want to make a decision that some people disagree with, or I don't want to make a decision that, you know, will disappoint people. But for whatever reason, the topic just ends and we float on to the next topic. And it's like, time out. Where did we land? What's the decision? Right. Right. Or I would say like an add on to those fears would be like fear of just making the wrong decision. And yeah, like, and sometimes it's like, I don't have enough information right now. And that might be a default, you know, like I want to kick the can because I'm actually afraid of all those, any of those things that you just went through, Keith. Yeah. 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 I think the reminder in that moment is like, even, even that is a decision and we need to recognize it. Meaning, absolutely. you know what, we don't have the information we need. Let's go find that information and let's re, you know, reconvene next week and we'll make the decision then. And that's my decision. So like yeah. just being clear if we can't make a decision or making it clear that I've narrowed it down to two things. I'm going to think about it and I'll let you know tomorrow. Like that's yeah. clear. That's ending with clarity and closure. So we're not saying leaders always have to force an answer but let's be clear where we landed so that we can make a clean pivot to a new thing. And what I love about that is when we make that decision to, Hey, I need more time. You know, when the leader is honest about that, then other people on the team could go, Hey, what do you need more time about? Like what information are you going to get now? That's going to change your decision or help make the decision or any of this. And sometimes the leader might say, well, I just, I want to think about this, or I want to talk to somebody about this. Or at that provocation, they might say, you know what? You're right. That's just kind of my default. I'm not going to get any more information. I should just make a decision right now. And when the leader's totally. just more upfront about that decision, I'm going to take time. I need more time. I need to get more information. It allows other people to be able to ask them like, why? In a healthy yeah. way. Yeah. In a healthy yeah. Way. Yeah. And that, that really kind of teases up for our next two, which is all this idea of like, what is the point of this meeting? But yeah, go ahead. Tackle number five. Yeah. So number five is having the wrong meeting. And what we mean by that is like the wrong elevation on our six types of working genius or being misaligned on what the meeting is or unclear meeting purpose and not stating it up front, you know, not, not as Pat Lanchoni would call it not going through the, like developing the hook of this is why we're here. This is why we're spending the time. This is why this decision is important. This is why this meeting is important and making sure that we're aligned on the elevation of the topic. Totally. Here's the deal. If you're listening to this and you're a leader, our assumption is that you've hired some pretty smart people. They're good people and they're hardworking and they mean well. And so if you don't set that hook or declare what's the elevation, everybody's going to make one up and they're not going to be wrong. It just won't be the same. Yeah. And so it's like, hey, we're here to talk about our go-to-market strategy. It's like, oh, okay. You mean like progress against plan 
Are we here to decide what it should be? Are we here to determine if we got the wrong one? Are we here to, you know, adjust the, like, or, or at the wonder phase or the invention phase? Or are we at the galvanized phase, reminding people why this is so important? Like, these are really different meetings. And we just need to make sure yeah. that everybody's actually in the same meeting and has that, like you referenced Pat's hook, that set the tension of the meeting so we want to resolve the tension in this meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So n- number four is really similar, which is even if we've declared the right elevation, behavior number four is not being focused on what the outcome is. And what we mean by outcome, I'm thinking super practically like at the end of this discussion, what do we want to be able to write down? Like what's the output of today's meeting? If you were going to, is it something that you can email to me? Is it a sentence? That's a decision. Is it a, it, is it a communication out to the rest of the org? Is it a PowerPoint presentation? Like what is it that we're actually trying to produce in our meeting? And often I've asked that question in in a group setting. Anybody can ask it. And I'll just say, hey, I've got a flip chart behind me. Like at the end of this conversation, what would you expect me to be able to write down? And it's a good discipline because often the team is unclear about that. And I'll say, and James, you and I were in the same room when this happened when, you know, a client said, like, I I think we've got the wrong go-to-market strategy. We need to decide. That's the point of this meeting. It's our go-to-market strategy. And at, at one point we were like, so somebody give me an example of what a really good one would look like. And there was like three key people in the room, one in charge of sales, one in charge of marketing, yeah. one in charge of product. And they couldn't even agree on what the output of the conversation was going to be. And it was so frustrating. And so yeah. if we're not agreeing on the output, then we're not going to know what kind of inputs would be helpful. So yep. Maybe that's sending somebody to the front of the room, grab a marker or somebody type. If you're if a Zoom meeting, somebody type into the chat, take care of our notes here. But like, let's all work toward the same end and, and be focused yes. on the same end result of this conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's good. All right, number three is using macro language versus micro language. Yeah, that's a favorite. That's, we see that all the time and- you know, it could be talking in high level, um, theoretical, you know, generalities as opposed to being specific, maybe being real time, maybe talking about certain topics, certain strategies. You know, this is something that I learned from you, Keith. And I think it's just really powerful when we could like, all right, you're up at the 30,000 foot level in this conversation right now. Bring it down to, you know, the 5,000 foot level. So we all understand what you're talking about. Right. What would you add to that? Yeah, it, it's it's just a lack of clarity. And I think there's different reasons we have to understand why people would talk in macro language. Sometimes it feels safer. Uh, it yeah, can be totally. a little bit easier to say, well, you know, I mean, we don't always get everything right here. And it's like, well, that's true. It's like, well, can you be more specific? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, sometimes some of our salespeople don't price things, right? (laughs) Oh, like which ones? (laughs) Yeah. Is there a certain region? Is there a certain product? Like, is that, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, the guys that are on the East coast selling to the enterprise, well, yeah, but you know, so you just have to like, it's so hard to like draw the person out to finally say like, okay, doggone it. It's James who's head of sales in the enterprise region in the Northeast, you know, enterprise sales in the Northeast. 
he's not holding his people accountable to the price increases that we set. It's like, okay, that's micro language. And that's so much more productive than, well, you know, some people, some of the time do some things that are bad. Right. But I think it's out of safety or, or maybe it's back to the long windedness. People just didn't really have, they hadn't thought about it in advance. And so they're, they're just kind of, it's like, almost just feels like filler. Yeah. I would say, and to expound on the safety, it's that artificial harmony. Like we don't want to, yeah, yeah. We don't really want to challenge people. We don't want to, like you know, say something that might be controversial. We don't want to get anybody in trouble. Yeah, but it prevents us from actually dealing with the situation head on. Yeah, yeah. So micro language is just it's it's just getting specific. It's up near the top of our list. So if you're a leader, you're listening to this. We put it as number three because we probably see this happen so often. And if a leader was just to lean into that, when they start hearing this macro language and just say, I'm sorry, James, can you be more specific? Who are you talking about specifically? Well, I don't want to say, no, 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 no. It's fine. Like if we don't know, we can't address it. Oh, there's a lot of reasons why we shouldn't go into that new product line. Great. Which ones? Well, I don't know. I mean, uh... so I think sometimes (laughs) people use it to be a little bit grandstandy. I've seen that True. sort of like grandstanding yeah. to try to like sway people over to their, their way. And then when you yeah. really press them for details, we see this with detractors on a team where they're kind of against something. So they try to present their point of view with much more strength than it really has. Yeah. So lots of reasons why people do it. I know I do it. And usually just cause I'm kind of a wuss and I'm trying to not hurt feelings, you know? Yeah. Okay. So that was number three, macro language versus micro language. Number two is going below the line. You know, we got this from a book called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. Actually, I think it's The 15 Principles of Conscious Leadership. It's about conscious leadership, and there's for sure 15 It is, and there's 15. And actually, we love the book, but this was... We love the book, but this is the only one we can remember. (laughs) No, that's not true. It is a good book. But the going below the line would be yes. the behaviors of being defensive, closed-minded, and focused on being right. Yeah. Right? And we see that a lot in meetings. Yeah. And so what would overcome that is people asking questions, being curious, trying to understand different perspectives, understanding what, what would be the opposite of this argument. And why wouldn't that work, you know? Yes. And at the end of the day, it's probably lifting yourself up to be less self-centered and more focused on the best idea, the best solution, as opposed to your ego getting the better part of you and you wanting to be right here. Yeah. Yeah. I like this one because it's actually summative of a lot of the ones we've talked about. I mean, if we're really focused on what's the output of this discussion, if it's a decision that we need to write down, if everybody is really working hard on the team to get to the right answer, if we're avoiding talking louder and faster and repeating ourselves, like all those things are kind of summarized in staying above the line, staying curious, trying to get to the right answer. And it's a great behavior. It's also it's an easy one to spot. Again, team leaders, you're listening to this because you want your meetings to be better. Just watch for people to go below the line. If they're above the line and talking loud and passionate, that's great because then that's a great debate. But it's if it's below the line, it's defensive, it's it's unproductive. So 
Yeah. Well, I just looked for the book in my bookshelf, and it is The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. And we See, do I knew you it. were right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So we ready for our number one behavior? Yes. Drum roll, please. Number one. I, I'm not going to try to do a drum roll. So this is our this is the thing that we think can be one of the biggest distractions, uh, the biggest behavior misses, have the biggest impact, and is probably the hardest one to really spot. And that is the behavior of silence. Silence. Yes. Silence yes. is the worst. And and, um, and what we often say is silence is confusing. It is so confusing. You know. Now that's easy for us, James. We're both extroverts, so we're not. This is not about introversion, extroversion, right? We're not. This is not bashing on introverts. This is bashing on silence. Yeah, and to be clear, even if somebody shook their head, nodded with affirmation, totally. You know, like thumbs up, thumbs down. Right. So it doesn't even necessarily mean speaking, but when there's silence and no facial expression, no body language, then that gets really confusing. And, you know, we, we don't know if people agree. We don't know if people disagree. We don't know if they think there's a different approach. It just could be totally confusing. And so, yeah, I'm glad you said that maybe even a better word for silence is just like, it's like the lack of a reaction or the lack of participation. And sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's unintentional, but it's this idea that we're trying to have a meeting and say it's a virtual meeting. Some people are off camera. Some people have their camera on mute or their Zoom on mute. Some people are in a meeting and they're muting themselves. Like if you are in this room and you are in this meeting, there is just no excuse for non-participation. So like you said, it doesn't have to be verbal participation. It can be head nods. It can be thumbs up if it's on camera. But like we have gathered this group because we're trying to get something done and you are not participating. And that is unacceptable. Now, I think we've cataloged some things. When we say it's confusing, there's a lot of good reasons why people say they're quiet. And these are all valid reasons. But what is confusing is that we just don't know what the reason is. And so I have often stopped a meeting and said, like, hey, James, we haven't heard a lot from you. And I just want to give you some feedback. Like, team, let's just go around. Like, where would you guess James is right now on this topic? just, Just verbalize it just so that James understands what he's communicating with his, you know, with his body and, and people are like, Oh, I think he disagrees. And everybody's like, Oh no, I, I didn't think he disagreed. I think he's just processing. And somebody's like, I actually thought he was mad. And he's like, well, frankly, I, I thought he was disengaged. I thought he, you know, was maybe checking email or thinking about something else. And I'm like, Hey, I'm not trying to embarrass you, but like, if you need to know that your silence has, has told four people, four different stories now help us out, which, in the, which one is accurate. And it might be like, right. no, I, I, I'm actually silent because I totally agree with the direction we're going. I just didn't want to waste time and say it. It's like, it's not a waste of time for you to nod your head or just to announce, I agree. I think this is good. Sometimes the most insightful, thoughtful person in a room is a quieter person. And by them just verbalizing their agreement with the direction yes. builds the momentum toward a decision. It gives the whole team confidence. And so Boy, if you're if you're kind of that person who's likely to be quiet, maybe because of introversion or other reasons, we would say just just announce where you stand. 
I agree. I disagree. You know what? I need to process this a bit. Or like, you know what? I'm sorry. I just got an email that I, I had to pay attention to. I was out of <laughs> like, can somebody catch me up on where we are? Even that is better than just being silent. Yes. Yes. So Keith, why don't you go through this list one last time, starting at number 10, all the way up to number one. All right. Number 10, being too focused on report out instead of decisions. Number nine, being long-winded. Number eight, getting loud to make your point. Number seven, pivoting from one question to the next and not staying focused on the same question. Number six, not making a decision. Number five, having the wrong meeting at the wrong elevation. Number four, not being focused on the meeting outcome. What's the output we need? Number three, macro language instead of micro language. Number two is going below the line. And the number one is silence or disengagement. And again, those are the top 10 behaviors that we think are unproductive and needs to be coached in order to make these meetings productive. So I love this list. There's 10 things. The idea here is that in reality, we shouldn't go to canceling meetings before we go to let's coach and hold people accountable to behavior change, to make the most out of these meetings. Why? Because the people we lead are counting on us to be aligned in the direction of the organization. And that could be long-term decisions or even short-term tactical week-by-week decisions. So our people need that from us. And that's also what the business needs to make sure that the team is aligned and making decisions in the direction of the organization. Awesome. All right. I think this has been a great conversation, Keith. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on this. And to the listener, thank you for joining us. And we look forward to having you back on the next Org Health Advantage podcast. Thanks for listening to the Org Health Advantage. Your hosts, Keith and James, are helping leaders change the world of work and invite you to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. For more resources on building stronger teams and organizational health, check out tablegroup.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.